one. You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, I think if we're ever privileged at Covenant Church to have Pastor Big come and be with us, it probably would be not wise to start the service by saying, how do you feel this morning? <laughs> you may not agree with everything he said. You might have, he might have offended you in some points, but what I wanted you to hear from him was the fact that we come here this morning to worship who we know and what we know, the truth. And the reason that we know He is the truth and the reason we know the truth is because the truth is revealed in the Word of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, You know my unworthiness to be in this position this morning. But because I do believe the truth of your word, I know you to be not only a God of justice, but a God of mercy. And I ask you in that grace, Father, to cover my sin with the blood of my blessed Savior. And through the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit, I request that you let the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight today. And I request it in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Everyone and every organization has a core value. Probably the picture that comes to your mind when you hear the word core is an apple core. And that core is what makes that apple what it is. That core contains the seed. And so when we talk about a core value, we're talking about a value we as individuals and organizations have at the very core of our being. Sometimes those values are good, sometimes they're bad. The outlaw Jesse James had a core value. His core value was, why should I work for money when I can go rob a bank? Probably, arguably, in my humble opinion, probably the greatest college football coach that's ever lived has a core value for his team. And that core value is that if every player on every play in whatever position they're in will execute their assignment to excellence, then most of the time they'll win the ball game. We at Covenant Church have core values that drive us. If you look in our Covenant Partner Handbook, the first item you'll see listed under what we believe is the Bible. If you look at 
our core values is listed, you'll see the first core value listed is the Bible. And there's a reason for that, and that's what we want to spend some time looking at today. And so in our text from 2 Timothy, we're going to spend most of our time in verse 16. And our text reveals three important truths about the Bible, and God willing, we'll try to get to all of them. The first truth that the Scripture reveals in verse 16 is the identity of the Bible. The identity of the Bible. The Bible is the very Word of very God. I like what Dr. Keith Matheson says. He says this. He says, when we hear Scripture, we hear the very voice of Almighty God. There's no greater authority. Wow. It's just as real, folks. What, that, what he's saying is when you read the Bible, it's, it's the very Word of God. It, it, it could be no more true. It could be no more clear. It could be no different if God was sitting there speaking to us audibly. Now, that's a high claim. And I want to build a case for that claim, and I'm going to have to get a little bit technical with you this morning. I'll go ahead and give credit where credit's due. I'm going to lean heavily on a work by a theologian of long ago, Dr. B.B. Warfield, wrote a book entitled The Inspiration and Authority of Scripture. Parts of it are so intellectual I can't understand it, but parts of it he puts down there like the preacher says on the bottom shelf where I can get to it. So I'm going to lean heavily on him. Our verse says this, in my translation, it says all, and by the way, do you know what that word all means in the Greek? It means all. It means every word, every part of it, the totality of Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I looked at a lot of translations in preparation of this message, and just about every translation that I looked at Instead of using the terminology breathed out by God, it says this. It says, inspired of God or inspired by God. Only the ESV and the NIV use this phrase, breathed out by God. Now, I'm not sitting here today telling you to go throw your Bible away if it doesn't say breathed out by God. And I'm not trying to sell the ESV or the NIV over any of the translations. But this is critical. And to say that the Bible is inspired of God is a little bit misleading and doesn't really f say what the, what the original meaning is because, listen to this, if we say the Bible's inspired of God, then that leaves the door open to say that the earthly authors who penned the Word of God, who God wrote His Word through, that it was somewhat their work and they were just writing under the inspiration of God. And same if we say it's inspired by God. And you say, here's the reality, folks. There, there are great Christian authors today. You, you, there, there are many books written for mine and your exhortation and our growth and instruction as Christians that are written by men who, when, when they wrote those books, I have no doubt they spent time in prayer before God and asked God to inspire them as they wrote. I mean, when it's my time to teach and preach here at Covenant Church, and even when I teach over in the clubhouse, my prayer is, God, please inspire me by your Spirit. Please let me be under the control of your Spirit. That, that's inspired by God, but that's, that's, that doesn't give justice to the meaning here. Now, I'm going to read something from Dr. War Warfield's book, and I'm going to tell you before I read it, it's kind of wordy. 
okay, and you have to stay with it. But, but if you'll listen, I think you'll, you'll catch the weight of what the Scripture says when it says all Scriptures breathed out by God. Dr. Warfield says this, the Greek word in this passage, theonoustos, very distinctly does not mean inspired of God. What it says of Scripture is not that it is breathed into by God or is the product of the divine inbreathing into its human authors. Now stay with me. Catch this. But that it is breathed out by God, God breathed the product of the creative breath of God. The breath of God is in Scripture the symbol of His almighty power, the bearer of His creative Word. You see, folks, God wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this Bible that I hold in my hand is not a work of men. It's not the writing of men. Men recorded it. Men wrote down, and God has preserved it for mine and your use, but it is not a creation of men. This is not the thoughts of men as they were inspired by God. This is the thought of very God Himself. This is His words. It's critical that we understand that. The Bible says in Genesis 2-7, to, to help us get, get the, the value of this, Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, listen, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature, creation. Did you catch that? Man was God's creation. Man had the life of God breathed into him. This has the life of God breathed out. This is God's breath. Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and catch this, and by the breath of his mouth all their host, heaven and all its host, is God's creation. This is God's creation. And the fact that God breathed out Scripture means the Bible is His creation, not the creation of man. And that's significant. Why? Because, folks, when you and I read the Bible, when we gather on Sunday to, to listen to the Bible and hear it preach, the, the words of this Bible carry the same importance. They carry the same truth as if God was sitting here speaking to us audibly. You don't have to wonder where God is. He's right here. God's never tried to be quiet and silent. He's a communicating God. And this is His perfect communication to you and I. Now, the fact that the Bible is the very Word of very God has, has two very important implications. And the first is this. The Bible is infallible. The Westminster Dictionary says the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation 
and the life of faith. And it will not fail to accomplish its purpose. We take that English word infallible. And we can dissect it. We could say it this way, that the Bible is incapable of falling. The Bible cannot fail because God cannot fail. The promises of the Scripture, cast all your cares on me. Be anxious for nothing. That's God's promise. And you can rely on them. It's totally reliable. I know the wisdom of the world. I saw, I saw a lot of, I see a lot of students here that look like they're probably not too far from college. Unless things have changed in the last 40 years, when you get to college, you're going to hear a lot of smart intellectual people. But please be selective, students. Don't buy everything they say. Because some of them's going to tell you that truth is relative. And that's a lie. The Bible is absolute truth. It's 100% reliable. Warfield said this. He said, if God is the author of scriptures, then scripture is true. Parents, we need to teach our children that this is the word of God and the stories they hear are not fairy tales. They're not make-believe. When I share a story in the clubhouse next door, I make a point to tell the, remind the children, listen, children, I'm fixing to tell you something that is true, and you can trust it's true because it comes from the Word of God. It's reliable. It's important that we understand and our children understand. Listen, the Bible, the Word of God, is the only 100% totally reliable source of truth there is. Pastor Hank prays before he preaches. I pray before I preach. And our intent is to be true to the Word of God and, and be used of God and, and speak truth. But listen, he's, he's not infallible. I'm not infallible. The great writers of the different books that are out there for Christians, they're good men, good women. And they write things that will help us, biblically based. But their writings are not infallible. Only the Bible is infallible. Not only does that mean the Bible is infallible, but it means the Bible is inerrant. The Bible has no fault, no error in all that it teaches in matters of history, science, as well as faith. The Bible supports that claim itself. Look, the Psalms 12, 6, I think it'll be on the screen for you. Look what God's Word says. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. In the Bible, the number seven is a, is a number of completion. The Word of God is pure. Psalms 119, 160, the psalmist says this, The sum or the totality of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Pastor Hank always concludes the reading of it, the Scripture with this saying we have over here inside. This verse says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Not only is it true, but it's eternal. It's inerrant. 
He cannot have error because it's breathed out by God. It's free from error, as one writer said. Now, let me make, a <clears throat> make an explanation here. When we say the Bible is without error, we're talking about the original autographs as God gave it at its origin. And it's been thousands and thousands of years since that was given. And, and the copy of, of, of the Word that you and I have in front of us, or you have on your phone or whatever, it, it's been written by men who were careful to copy from multiple manuscripts to be sure. And yeah, there may be, there may be some graphical errors in, in the copy you and a half. For instance, there's a place in the Bible where it talks about Solomon or David, one having 4,000 horses in his Barns, and then in another book it says the same thing, but it says he had forty thousand horses. Well, let me tell you something. If you were, if you knew how to read the, the the Hebrew alphabet, if you looked at the symbol for four, and you looked at the symbol for forty, the only difference in it is there's a you barely can't see it. There's a little bitty flag comes out of the top of it. Well, that's that's it would be easy to. But listen, there's no errors. There's, there's even th with those minute errors, it does not change the teachings, of the Word of God. They're without error. You can count on them. You can, you can take this book, which is the oldest of, of all ancient writings, and you can go to the universities and you can go to the history department. If, if uh, Dr. Tori Jessen was here today, we, we could call her up front and, and she could tell you the criteria they use in, in academia to, 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 to make sure a historic writing is accurate. Let me tell you something. You can take the Bible and use every one of those criteria, and it will not only meet those criteria, it will exceed those criteria. In fact, let me ask you this question. Do you think if God is the author of this book, do you not think God is able to make sure that it is held intact and recorded as He intended it? Sure He's able. He's God. He can do everything. This is the Word of God and has no errors. But let me ask you a question while we're there before we move on. Let me ask you a question of accountability. I'm probably going to get in trouble here. I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers, and I'm sorry, but I think we have to ask it. And I'm asking of myself, too. It's, it, it's a question I have to hold myself accountable to. If this book is the very Word of very God, why do we not read it more often and with more attention than what we do? Now, I'm really going to make somebody mad now, I know. If you check the screen time on your Facebook, how would that compare to the time you spent reading the Word of God? Ooh, 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 I know it hurts. It hurts. Parents, let me ask you this. Is it, is it more important that we teach our kid how to throw a fastball than we teach him the only way for them to be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ? Is it more important that we teach our kids how to solve a math problem? than that we teach them how to deal with the temptations of sin? 
Is it more important that we work long hours and try to make a lot of money so we can give them the very latest fashion to wear? Or is it more important that they know how to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I love sports. I, I got a grandson who's fixing to start playing high school ball, and, and I'm excited about that. I got a granddaughter sitting right over here in the corner. She's fixing to start playing uh, volleyball. And the only thing is, Hayden, you are not going to play beach volleyball. They don't wear enough clothes when they play beach volleyball. <laughs> But, but I love sports. I, I'm not down on education. Folks, I, I took night classes for seven and a half years just so I could try to understand this book a little better. I'm all for education. But we need to have priorities, and this needs to be our priority when it comes to learning. It's the very Word of very God. Well, not only does our text reveal the identity of the Bible, it reveals the influence of the Bible. Look at what it says. First of all, it says, All Scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching. This refers to doctrine, the truths, the doctrinal truths of God's Word. And listen, they are truths to be applied to our life. Notice how, notice how in verse 10 of that same chapter, back up to verse 10, uh, uh, 10 notice how, how God writing through Paul ties the teaching to his lifestyle. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. Look, listen to this. My conduct... My aim in life, there's your core value. Paul had a core value. And that core value was built on the Scriptures. And all he had at the time was the Old Testament. But it was his core value. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. Paul says, the Word of God affects my whole being. And that's what the teaching is to do. That, listen, the purpose of the Bible's teaching is not to make us smart, to make us holy. The purpose of the teaching of the Word of God, the reason that we focus on the Word of God here at Covenant Church is because we want to be more like Jesus. That's the purpose of the teaching. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then the Bible says it's profitable for reproof. The, the, the idea there is uh, rebuke. Or, or conviction. It's actually a, a legal term. It comes from a word that means evidence. And, and what is it trying, what, what the Bible is telling us there when it says profitable proof, the Bible takes us to court, so to speak. We're, we're put on trial before the Word of God. And the Bible issues a verdict to us about our actions and our words and our thoughts. Listen, with the intent to bring about repentance. See, for a believer in Jesus, the Word of God brings conviction and reproof not to condemn us. We can't be condemned because of Jesus. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So the purpose of reproof is to bring us in line with what we should be in Jesus. It's for to bring us repentance. Psalm 26, 2 says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. And then the Bible says it's profitable for correction, to, to correct a mistake, to, to make an improvement. I think, I think a good term here would be the term guidance. 
The Word of God guides us as, as believers. It, it brings us into God's stand. You know, Vicki and I, we, we were fortunate. We, a few weeks ago, we, we got a, a newer car than what we had. been a long time, folks, since we had a car, uh, bought a new car. And that thing amazes me. I mean, that car's a whole lot smarter than I am. It, it's got these safety features in it. But they had to do a little work to the dealership, so they loaned us a, actually a car like we had, except it was a brand new car. And, and I had to go up to Birmingham last week for a class, and one of my old cars I'd been going in was, was acting up. And I told Vicky, I said, I, I better take that new car. I don't want to get stranded in, up there in Birmingham. I have to be towed in. So, I, and I, I'm, I'm going up the interstate, folks, and I got this car on cruise control. I, you know, I'm rocking along there about 65, 70 miles an hour on cruise control, and this car cuts up in front of me, and that doggone car slows down on its own. I started looking around to see if there's somebody else in the car putting on the brakes. I didn't know what was happening. I, 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 Vicky and I made a little trip uh, one night this week down to Manville to visit some folks, and, and, and she was about to, to, to go into another lane, and that sucker started instant bells and whistles. I thought it was about to blow up. I didn't know what was going on. And it was letting her know there was a car in, in her blind spot. Isn't that something? Isn't it wild what they can do with technology today? Let me tell you something. This is better than all them safety devices a car has. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 17, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Listen to this. Who leads you in the way you should go. That's what the Bible's about. To lead us in the way. We don't have to be in the ditch, folks. We can stay on the straight and narrow if we'll follow the Word of God. And then lastly, it says it's profitable for training in righteousness. This is talking about rearing a, an infant child. The same word, look at Ephesians 6, 4. Let me show you this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. That, that word discipline is the same word as training in righteousness, same Greek word. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's talking about the, the act of raising a, a young infant child. You know, some of you know I've got a great grandson, and uh, he is—he turned two a little over a month ago, and so he's at that age where the family, his mom especially, uh, you know, and his grandmama to some extent, they want to get him potty trained, and you know, they want him to to start doing away with his pacifier and all those things you have to do as you grow up, and you need to pray for us because uh, we got one family member. I won't mention any names. We got one family member who wants to let him do anything he wants to, have anything he wants to, whenever he wants to. Okay, so so it's going the training is going to be a little tough. But anyway, that's what this Bible refers to. See, see, we are, the Bible says we as believers, we're the adopted children of God. And He wants us to look to His Word so He can train us in the way that we're to be. He wants to bring our words, our thoughts, and our actions in line with His standard. And the way He does that is through the Word of God. And then finally, the, our text reveals not only the identity of the Bible, not only the influence of the Bible, but our text reveals the invitation of the Bible. The Bible has a wonderful invitation. Look back up in verse 14 and 15 of our text says this, but it's for you talking to Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And listen to this. 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, listen to this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wow, what an invitation the Word of God gives. Come unto me, all you who labor. Come and find rest. Come and receive salvation. You know, we throw that word out there and we tell folks the Bible tells you how to be saved and they don't, they don't what, saved from what? Well, let me tell you what you, the invitation to be saved is saved from. See, the Bible, the very Word of very God has some bad news. And that bad news is about you and about me. And that bad news is that we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says all. You know what that word means? It means all. Every boy, girl, man, or woman ever been born, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed the standard. The best of the best of us have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. Only takes one sin, one, word, one wrong word, one wrong action, one wrong thought, and you've offended an almighty, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy God. And the bad news gets worse because the Bible says the wages, the consequences, so to speak, the paycheck for sin is death. And death separates. My mom and dad died in 2002. And I used to go by every afternoon after work the last year or two they lived. I used to stop by on my way home every afternoon, check on them, talk to them, visit with them. I can't do that anymore because they're physically dead and I'm still physically alive and there's a gap. We're separated. When the Bible talks about death, the ways of sin is death, it's talking about not just physical death, it's talking about spiritual death. See, there's a gap. There's a big, wide gap between us and God because He's holy, He's perfect, and we're sinful. And the bad news is, we can't do anything about it. I, I know the world thinks that if you're a good citizen and you're a good parent and you don't beat your kids and you take care of your wife and do all those good things, that that makes you, you know, in the top percentile of good folks. Well, let me say something, folks. We don't get there by being in the top percentile because God requires perfection. That puts us in a bad. In fact, we deserve and we will receive if something doesn't happen that what we need to be saved from is we will get the wrath of God. If we die in this world without Jesus, we will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell that you do not want to go to. Now, that's the bad news, but here's the good news. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God showed His love for us. Listen to this. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The eternal Son of God 
came and was born as a baby and took on flesh and took on the name Jesus. And the Bible says, as fully God and fully man, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. And you see, folks, because Jesus lived the perfect life and perfectly obeyed the Father, then he went to the cross as the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice to make payment. And he incurred the full wrath of God. I could say it like this. He took hell for all who will trust in him as Savior. Because a verse that everybody's familiar with says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whosoever believeth. That doesn't mean just head knowledge. That don't mean just walking an aisle and saying I do or being baptized or anything. It means in our heart of hearts, trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I like what our, our board says over here, sola gratia, by grace alone, sola fide, by faith alone, sola Christus, by Christ alone, sola scripture, by scripture alone, sola deo gloria, by glory to God alone. That's the way of salvation. It takes work to get you to heaven, but it's not our work. It's the work that Jesus did with his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's the invitation of the Word of God if you've never trusted Christ. No special words. No special prayer to pray. Just open your heart up to him and be honest and say, Father, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And he'll save you. And then the other invitation is found in, as we close in verse 17. That the man of God may be competent, my verse says, the, the, Brandon's got a little bit newer version of me, and his says complete, same thing. The man of God may be competent, complete, equipped for every word. You see, the invitation for you and I as believers is this, that we experience the fullness, the completeness of God's salvation. I shared this with the earlier group. My favorite meal my favorite meal is fried chicken, preferably dark meat, with mashed potatoes and some gravy to go over it, and English peas, and either a buttered biscuit or a buttered roll with a little bit of applesauce on the side. Now, that's, you make that for me, I'm a happy camper. But here's the thing. As good as all that is, and it's delicious, it's good, but you know what really makes it complete? If after I've eaten all that, somebody makes like my grandma used to make or like Miss Margaret Ramsey makes or Alice Walker makes, makes me a, a bowl of banana pudding. And the best banana pudding has got homemade meringue on top of it, and it's got vanilla wafers layered through it. Now, folks, when you have that after having chicken and mashed potatoes and English pea, you got the complete deal. And you can have complete life, full peace, joy in the worst of circumstances if you'll believe and trust the very word of very God. I'm sure 
I'm almost positive. It was the first song I'll ever learned. I was probably four years old. I might have even been three. And even to this day, after all those years, it's still very true, theologically sound. And it's a song that takes me through the toughest of times. And it goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you love us so much that you communicated that love to us perfectly. You communicated that love compassionately. You communicated your great love and plan for us through the Scripture, the Bible, your very Word. May we as a church never have any authority that does not fall under the authority of your Word. May we as believers, dear God, never neglect daily, sometimes multiple times daily, the consideration, the reading, the meditation of your Word. Thank you, God, for loving us so. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.